Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Awesome. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeehaw. All right. Thank you for sharing that, Matt. And um, feels good in the atmosphere, right? You can feel the Holy Spirit. Give me a wave if you can sense the Spirit of God in the atmosphere. How many know as we draw near to Him, what does He do? Yes, He draws near to us. He's a God who cannot but help but respond to his children, and he's in the room. I can sense his presence in the room. Who love the worship? Yes. Give me a wave if you love the worship. Yes. Thank you so much, Pumaka. Such an honor to be in the same place with you, not in Bethel, New Zealand. Yeehaw. And um, so it's just such an honor. I feel really blessed and privileged to have the opportunity of being here. Um, it's a great joy to be with Pumaka and Matt as well. Like we're often in different corners of the planet. And so it's so fun that we get to be together. I had it twice this year, I think, both in the South Island where we've been ministering together. So yeehaw in the South Island. And um, also just God lives here. Yeah, he does. Of course he does. And um, want to honor Gideon and Catherine, thank you so much for hosting us. And thank you so much for um, just believing in the sons and daughters of this city, awakening into who they are so that we can see what God wants to bring in. Because how many know that God doesn't just work out of the blue? He can do that because He is sovereign, but that's not His modus operandi. He far prefers to be working alongside His sons and His daughters. He doesn't just work out of the blue. He likes to work through people like me, people like you. (laughs) Anyone saying amen to that? And so I just love it, what God is doing here in this city. And I know God's on the move here. And I know that um, there is something of that sense of that move of the Spirit beginning to break out in this city. And those moves of the Spirit continue to maintain momentum. And especially as the sons and daughters of God awaken to what actually God is doing in a place. And He's doing some good stuff right here, right now. So such a what stand in the center. Is that, is that for me? Stand in center? About there? I just saw it on the back there. Stand in center. I'm changing my message to stand in center. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, well, let us pray. Let's pray. Join with me in prayer. Father, we honor you. We thank you for your presence. Father, we thank you that you're not always just waiting in the future for us, but you are I am. 
your present tense in our midst right here, right now, tonight. And we sense you by your Holy Spirit and living Spirit of God. We honor you and we thank you and we breathe you in. And we say, what can we do without you? And where can we go from you, Holy Spirit? And Holy Spirit, we would not want to leave you. We honor you. We love you. And the Son, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, we honor you. And we thank you for your presence. I ask that you'd anoint everything that is spoken tonight, Father. I ask for you to encounter your people in this room tonight in Jesus' name. Because, Father, we haven't just come for a religious service, but we've come to experience the living God. And so we breathe you in right now, and we thank you for your presence. Amen. Amen. Well, we're at a Sonship Conference, and that, um, that word includes the wahine, the woman, we are all of our sons of God. You are a son. You can call yourself a daughter if you want, but we together are the sons and the daughters of God. The scripture speaks about how all of creation is waiting with eager excitement, eager anticipation waiting for the sons and daughters of God to awaken, to wake up to the very fact that you and I are sons and daughters of Him, not by metaphor. But we truly are the sons and daughters of God. By birth, by creation, by the very fact that the Creator is also our Father which makes you and I in this room very, very dangerous people. Amen? Very dangerous people. It makes you and I in this room people that can actually influence change into our nation and see our nation step into a better day. Is there anyone with me tonight? And so I want to, um, my spiritual father is Leif Hetland. And one of the things he spoke in 2008, it was like a word that I was just a young man sitting in a meeting similar to this. He wasn't my spiritual father at the time. I'd never heard him speak live. And he said one line. And it was like words that went into my spirit and began to just burn. It went into me and began to burn, and it's been burning and burning and burning for over 10 years now. In my heart, this one line. And I want to share this one line to you with the prayer that what it did to me, it might also do to you. That it would cause you to burn. That it would cause you to awaken. Can I come down? Is that all right, cameraman? Can't see the light. They cannot see me. It's all right. You don't need to apologize. And this is what he said. Sonship before any other ship. Sonship before any other ship. Sonship before leadership, before mentorship, discipleship, apostleship. Sonship. 
before any other ship. That at the very foundation of the life of Christ, just like what you were saying, Gideon, is that before any ministry took place through Christ's life, the Father, heavens opened. The voice of the Father boomed out and said, this is my beloved Son. And in Him I am well pleased. Come on. This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. Before He'd done any miracles. That he was, Jesus was living in the pleasure of the Father before he had performed anything for the Father. That he had the foundation set in place that I am a beloved son of a beautiful and magnificent Father who happens to be the creator, who loves me with everything in his heart. And off that foundation, I can build all the other ships, I can have leadership. I can have all these ministry ships, but I must have at the very core of who I am, I'm his son. I'm the father's son. And I pray that that would continue to just burn in you for the rest of your life as you outwork sonship before any other ship. Amen. Wow, Holy Spirit. Well, what I want to do, I want to speak from the book of John. And I want you to open the scriptures to John chapter 1. And I'd love to hear the sound of some paper Bibles turning. Are there any in the room? Give me a wave if you bought a paper one. I bought my paper one. I've been practicing reading my paper Bible in front of my children. So they don't think I'm, I'm playing a game on my phone. <laughs> Actually, at the last church I preached to last Sunday... I said, I want to hear the sound of paper Bibles turning. And so I gave a scripture reference and he found the sound of a page turning on YouTube and played it over the loudspeakers. I was feeling the love, feeling the support. So John 1. John 1 speaks about Jesus Christ. Right at the start of John 1, we have some of the most magnificent scriptures articulating the attributes of who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In some translations, it speaks about how the Word was face to face with God. Jesus Christ being the Word who was face to face with the Father. It speaks about some of the amazing attributes of who He is. He is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the life. That is the light of all men, he and all women. He is the one who is closest to the Father, right there in the bosom, in the King James Version. You can say bosom in church. King James. <laughs> it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. He, he is right there in the closest place with the Father. And He is the one, it says, that can explain the Father. If anyone else explains God, and God looks different than the way that Jesus explains God, how many know that the way Jesus sees God is the way that God really is? Is anyone with me? And so if someone else explains God different than the way Jesus explains God, the perfect son right there face to face with the Father, you need to reject what they say and embrace what Jesus says. He is the one from whom all grace and all truth comes from. I'm speaking about Jesus. 
He's the one that you and I in this room, He gives us the exousia, the authority, the right to become children of God. We are the sons and the daughters of God. He is the, then John bursts onto the scenes and John keeps talking about this one who is the Word. And John says, oh my goodness, He is the one who sandal strap. I'm not worthy to unloose. He is the one who will baptize in the living spirit. Is anyone with me? (laughs) John said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of of the cosmos, the whole world, not just the earth, the universe and everything in it. He is the one that takes away all of the stain of sin from the whole world. This is what John says. I'm speaking about Jesus. I'm speaking about the one that we worship and that we adore, Jesus Christ. And yet all through this huge, oh gosh, I just want to crawl into your faces. I just, that was just, that was just. Yet this one who is the word, I feel bound, but I feel loosed on the inside. Don't you worry. This one who is the word though, in all of these verses has been completely wordless. He hasn't spoken yet. And he does not speak. This one who is the word does not speak until the 38th verse. Of John. Don't put it up yet. I want it to be a secret. Good. It'll be revealed though. It'll be revealed. This huge stage is set of this almighty creator that lights up the world and that loves us and that is closest to the Father and then comes down into our world and becomes flesh and walks amongst us. This massive stage is set and yet he has not spoken, not a single word yet until John decides to finally reveal the first words that this creator would speak to us. And how many know the first words after this huge stage has been set have got to be pretty important words. Hello? The first words of God in the book of John, spoken to humanity, are pretty important words. And he's walking. He's just been walking past the baptismal waters of John. And two disciples of John begin to follow him. Two young men. Maybe just out of being boys, growing into men, manhood. Begin to follow Jesus. And then the first words of the one who is the word to humanity are spoken. And it's not just a statement. And he is magnificent. And John has been writing about how supreme he is. And the first words he says is a question. And he doesn't even talk about himself. It's not an I am statement. It is simply this. He sees them walking, following him. He turns around and says this. What are you seeking? 
First words in the Gospel of John attributed to Christ. Nothing about His amazing, magnificent glory. But He comes right down into the world of humanity, asks, asks nothing of Himself and says, What do you seek? What are you looking for? Some of you in this room, I feel like God is asking the question to you. What are you seeking? But this question of the creator, the master, triggers something in the hearts of his followers. The first two disciples, yet to be disciples actually, but they're about to be disciples. It triggers a response and they respond to him with a question too. What do you seek? Where are you staying? There it is right there. Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Where is your place of abiding? Where is your dwelling place? Where are you? Which echoes the first question that we have recorded in the history of the world. Did you know the first question we have recorded in the history of the world is not a question though of humanity to God. It is a question of God to humanity. First question we have recorded thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Adam, remember? Adam, 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 God speaking. Adam, where are you? Adam, Adam, where are you? And right now, in this passage of Scripture, thousands of years later, when God comes back to earth, this time it's not Adam. It's not God asking Adam. It's Adam asking God, where are you? What's going on? It's speaking that something on, on the deep of humanity Something deep down within us, even in darkness, even in sin, even covered in darkness, there is something on the deep of you and I in this room that is perfectly in the image of our Creator. That the deep yearning of the Father, where are you, meets the deep yearning of humanity, even in brokenness. God, where are you? We want one another, both God and humanity. We want one another because you and I in this room are created in His image, like Father, like Son. Are you alive tonight? Like Father, like daughter. In the same way He was looking for Adam, it's the same way we are looking for Him. But this question, where are you staying? Are you following me? Is saying this. It sets up something in the book of John. It, in fact, it sets up the course for the direction that the book of John is heading in. The book of John is going to take us 
now in a direction that the first question, where are you staying? What's your place of abiding? That the rest of the book of John is going to spend answering this question. Where are you staying? And at first, the next verse says, Jesus says to them, come and you'll see. He takes them to his house. And he shows them around his house. But then later on in his ministry, Jesus says something like this. Foxes have holes. Birds have, come on. But the Son of Man has to lay his head that he doesn't have a house, that what he showed them wasn't his true place of abiding. He didn't fully answer the question of where his home is. And we have this statement and this, we have a saying in our nation, home is where the heart is. And my proposal to you tonight is that home is where the heart is for Jesus Christ. I want to show you from the Scriptures how we in this room can enter into a place of such abiding in the home that Jesus Christ was able to enter and access so that you and I in this room can live day-to-day lives as if we are at home, but not just any home, the Father's ultimate home that he has for us. Let me talk about this for a second because there's something about home, right? I know when I come home from the office at, you know, I come home and I've had meetings all day or I've been working on my laptop doing administrative tasks or whatever it is. One of the first things I do is I go into my room and I put on my track pants and I put on the baggiest shirt I can find because I'm home. And then my wife comes home and my wife is beautiful. My wife is absolutely stunning. And every now and again, um, I might be home before she comes home. She works two days a week. And she comes in that door, Gideon. And I'm like, oh my, she's wearing her work clothes. And I'm like, wow, I made a good decision marrying you. Oh my goodness. Woo, woo, woo. And then she goes off into her room and she does the same thing as me. She puts on the baggiest track pants, the baggiest shirt, and she comes out, lets her hair out. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, at least you're still beautiful on the inside <laughs> and the outside, but only, you know, like, oh my goodness, before. That was so good. But there's something about home, come on, where you can let, let your hair out a little bit, where you can kick your feet up and you can let off all the masks, right? And the real you, the you that is behind all the other yous that we put on can just relax and find a place of rest. And I believe that Jesus was in a place of rest like home 
every single moment of the day where no longer is he working and performing and putting on the masks, but he is 100% fully himself, fully at rest in a place called home. I don't want to release an impartation for that tonight, but I want to um, go into Luke 7. And I want to just give you a snapshot from something of Jesus' life. So we're going to read another passage of Scripture. Then I'm going to share one more Scripture. And then I'm going to end. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to end before my time is up to honor you for the first night. But then we're going to see the Holy Spirit moving. And people are going to be touched by the Holy Spirit in ways that you may never have encountered before. And I'm really excited to see that happen. Anyone else with me on that? All right, awesome, awesome. Well, the setting for this Luke 7. Did I hear any pages turn to Luke 7? Any Bibles? Yes, sir, you bought your Bible. Thank you, Gideon. I'm, I've busted you coming to church without your Bible, man. <laughs> He's got it on the phone. He's going to get the app. By the way... When John is writing this gospel that has set a course for where are you abiding, Jesus? He's not writing the gospel in mind for I need to write an accurate historical account of what took place. Although everything that he wrote, I believe, was accurate and historical. But that is not the core of why John is writing the book of the gospel of John. John is writing the book of the Gospel of John for a different reason. How many know he is the beloved? That was his favorite title. I am the beloved. I'm loved. I'm loved. He can throw his hands up in the air. And with everything in him, I bet you, just say, I am so loved by the Father. He loves me like crazy and believes it. In the core of who he was. I believe many people in church, we, if we say something like that, we don't fully believe it deep down. And what it takes to believe something like that isn't just information or communication saying, you're loved. You're loved. Oh, okay, I'm loved. Cool. You're loved. But it takes encounters and revelation from the Father so that, after encounter, after encounter with his love, the lover of your soul, you can say, I am loved. Which remember is the foundation for Christ. It's not the son who really, really loves me in whom I am well pleased, said the father at his baptism. It's this is my beloved son. He received my love. He's loved by me, the foundation of his ministry. <laughs> which needs to be the foundation of your ministry. And John is writing the gospel of John, not so much as a historical account, although I repeat, I believe everything in John is historically accurate, but he is writing it as a manual for every reader to experience an encounter like he had, to take them on a journey of encounter so they could experience the same God that he could experience so that they too could lift their hands up in the air and with everything in them say, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved. And honestly, when you can say that, 
You're unstoppable. You're unstoppable. No more working for love. But simply working from love. All that wasted time of working for love, gone. And now you just get to work from love. Yeehaw. Right. Uh, Luke 7, um, we'll read verse 44. But the setting is Jesus has been invited by Simon the Pharisee into his house. A Pharisee, for those of you that don't know, is an expert in religion. Jesus has been invited into the house of religion. And I believe actually that this is also a prophetic statement of what God is doing in New Zealand. That Jesus is coming into the house of religion. And watch out, when Jesus steps into the house, it doesn't even matter if it's as cold and as hard and religious as you could ever believe. When Jesus comes into the house of religion, something's about to happen. And in this, in this story, Jesus has stepped into the house of religion. Now, I've been into many religious environments. And in a religious environment, there is a pressure that comes. Jump, monkey. Jump religiously. (laughs) Show yourself approved in the Scriptures. Prophesy. Come on, work, work. Do your religious work. What do you need to do? in this house of religion that Jesus has found himself in to be accepted here. That's what religion does. It makes you work for what you already have. But there is a pressure. And Jesus, I bet you, would have been feeling the pressure to prove himself religiously in a house of religion. And then a woman comes up who is of ill repute, immoral, very likely a prostitute. She comes into the house. She weeps behind Jesus. She's bursting into tears. She takes the perfume, the vial of perfume. She pours it out. And with the tears coming down her face and her hair, she washes the feet of Jesus Christ. And even in this moment, by the way, religion is testing his religious credentials. If you were really a prophet, Jesus, you would know that this woman is a sinner. You wouldn't be letting her wash your feet, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, prove you're religious. Prove your right to be here. Prove yourself. Can anyone relate to what I'm saying? Work, perform to be accepted in a house of religion. But each time that pressure is coming on the inside of Jesus, He is holding His ground I can picture it like an army general speaking to his troops. Hold, hold your ground, hold. And every time pressure for him to perform came on him, he had to hold to an internal reality of I already belong. I don't need to work any religious prophetic craziness. To belong in this house. 
Come on. But rather, I have a place of internal belonging. And let me read the scripture. And so Jesus, in verse 44 of Luke 7, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon the Pharisee, the the religious leader in the house of religion, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Each time the pressure came on him to perform religiously so he could be accepted in this house of religion. He did not bend, not even for one moment. And then as he continued to hold this reality that was on the inside of him of belonging, something crazy and ridiculous actually began to take place. Let me show you what took place. Let me give you what the key of the custom that took place here. You see, foot washing, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, actually had a ritual and a meaning behind it. It was something that you would do when 2,000 years ago, you'd been out on a long journey and you came home, your feet would be washed as a ceremony to say, welcome home to the place where you belong. Welcome home. And home is the place of belonging. And this woman who is a prostitute, which is the most unlikely source, is the one who washes his feet in a welcome home ceremony. And now the pressure from the house of religion that was anything but belonging Come on, in a religious environment, you've got to work so hard to fit in. And fitting in is a massively poor substitute for belonging. And so Jesus holds to the internal reality of belonging and He keeps holding and He holds a little longer and then bang! It manifests on his outer world and the perfume of belonging and the ceremony of belonging breaks through so that not just his internal world is belonging, but now his external world is belonging too. There is an alignment that takes place. Did you see that? His internal reality became his external reality. And you too in this room, When you hold true to what is true on the inside of you, you can go into any environment, even the harshest workplace, even the coldest religious place. And if you stay true to what is true on the inside of you, it will manifest and break through on the outside and you'll shift that spirit and you will break the atmosphere open and the perfume of belonging will fill the place. And they'll find home. And when you find home, you can let off the mask and people can actually be themselves.
You can step into the true you and the true others. I love it how Jesus doesn't just throw stones over the gates of hell to destroy hell. I love it how Jesus goes right on in there and smashes it from the inside out. I remember when we were looking for our church building, we were struggling, man. We were trying to find, with the, what happened with all the earthquakes, it meant that all the restrictions and the constraints for trying to find a building that was a place of assembly for a church were through the roof up in Whangarei to have it all engineered up to the standards that were the new standards. Every building we looked at was at least $100,000 just to get it so that we could actually get a consent before we'd even moved in there. And then someone said to me, after this uh, year and a half to two years search for a building, we would find all these amazing buildings, but the engineers would come back and say $100,000, $1 million, whatever. It's just going to be crazy to try and get that up to the right standard. Someone said to me, my, my brother-in-law said to me, Andy, this is, um, and he's sort of laughing a little bit. He's like, <laughs> now, don't laugh. Andy, and he's kind of embarrassed to even ask me. He says, Andy, this nightclub, there's a nightclub that was a strip club, has come up for lease. And bro, uh, honestly, don't, don't, don't laugh, but I think it might be okay for us as a church. And it was heaven, it was called Heaven Nightclub, which was a prophecy of its own doom. But it was on Vine Street. And now Vine Street in Whangarei was for over 10 years the most violent street in our entire province, in our entire region. It was the most murders, most, most crazy violence. And 90% of the violence actually happened either outside the front doors of that nightclub called Heaven or inside. It had the longest opening hours of any other nightclub in our city, which meant all the drunk people after all the other nightclubs shut, stumbled to this place. And the police were called out there every night. In fact, I was talking to a police officer two, weekend, two weekends ago, two weeks ago. And he asked me what I did. I said, I, I'm a pastor at Bethel Church. He said, where's that one? I said, oh, it's the old heaven nightclub. He says, oh, man. Oh, and he laughed. He said, you guys made our life so much easier. Because we, put it, we, we, brought our, we brought our people, our leaders up there, and some of them were seers, open-eyed seers. They could see angels and demons like they see people. And they're walking up there, and I remember looking at the seers, and they're like this. Can we go now? Can we go now? And the feelers, people that could feel and discern spirits were like, uh, can we go now? Can we go now? And as you walk on the carpet, squelch, squelch, squelch from the vomit and the beer that was spilt there. It was dark. It was a dungeon. The strip poles were right there. I think we still have those poles. We have a dream of redeeming them, with making them into a pulpit. But we put down an offer to the landlords. And we said, look, we want to lease this. And here's our offer. And the landlord we were in our office, our other office, and the landlord came and visited both Matt and myself and said, look, 
you guys have put down your offer for this. And some other businessmen have put down their offer too. Now, their offer is higher than your offer. And they want to do another nightclub. But we like you guys. And we don't believe that in Whangarei, the nightclub industry is the growth industry. But we believe you guys are a growth industry. So we've decided to take your offer. And then right in the middle of this source and root of violence that was spilling out onto Vine Street that, by the way, had had Christians for 10 years, 10 years. And often they would go up and down the street at night praying, God, turn these dens of sin into houses of worship. But right in that street of violence, we went right, not just to the street, but to the very source where it was spilling out onto the street. And we set up a praise fortress in that place. And we said, Jesus, come into this place. And just the same way He does it all throughout Scripture, where He doesn't throw stones over hell out from the outside in, but rather goes straight in and then blows it up from the inside. He did the same for us. And the presence of the Lord exploded into that place. First worship service. And the root of violence got completely snuffed out. In fact, to the point where there was another nightclub right next door. It's no longer there anymore, by the way. It's shut down too. How crazy is that? But we were doing a Saturday night event. The bouncer came up on a Saturday night, up the stairs, and one of our welcome team said, hey, how's it going? He said, I'm a bouncer from the nightclub next door. I just wanted to come up here so that I could see what on earth has moved in here. Because since you guys have moved in, the whole atmosphere of the street has completely changed. How awesome is that? And Jesus goes right in, even to the house of religion and shifts it from the inside out by staying true to what is on the inside of Him. And as He holds that, it breaks through on the outside. And so everywhere He went, He brought an atmosphere of home, of belonging with Him that caused others to step into who they were. It was a secret that He had. And I want to tap into this. He's, he, he, he cannot answer the question in John 1 immediately because he needs to take the disciples on a three and a half year journey of encounter after encounter so that he can bring them to the place where they can receive the answer. Yeah. And I'm going to try and do it in a 30 minute message. <laughs> but many of you have been Christians in this place for a long time. And I want to show you something from the Scriptures that Jesus was leading His disciples to. So I want you to turn back to the book of John. Let me hear some paper Bibles turning. And we're going to John 14. My last Scripture. You're still alive. You're all good. You're following me, right? Here we go. John 14. This is 
right at the end. He's about to be crucified. He's only hours away from crucifixion. He is leaving his disciples and he's about to uh, hand the baton of his ministry onto his men. This is the last moment. And it's the last moment where he can finally, after a three and a half year journey, where he's been strengthening them, where he's been um, releasing encounter after encounter to them, can he finally release this revelation so that they can live like he lived, so that you can live like he lived. Verse 1. He's speaking to his disciples. Give me a wave if you're a disciple in this room. Yes. Do not let your heart be troubled. John 14 verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Rest in your heart. And we know that he's about to speak of a reality of the heart. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Listen to this. That where I am... What was the question he was answering, asked three and a half years before? Where are you staying, Jesus? Here we are, three and a half years later, that where I am, you can be there also. Where Jesus is, he so desperately wants you to be there also because he wants to be with you. Like crazy. But where he is, is a place called in my father's house. But it's okay because in the father's house, there are many rooms, not a scarcity of rooms. Do you know in this room right now, each and every one of you, when God says there's many, it's not scarcity There are many rooms. And when he means many, he means many. There's a space for you. That Christ has prepared for you. And he, remember, was the carpenter all his working life. And then he shifted into ministry. But really what took place was his 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 residential construction industry work, so to speak. His carpentry, where he was building homes and building things in homes, never really shifted except for the location of where he was building. Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and the carpenter of all carpenters, building a house for you, in the Father's house. And we have done an incredible disservice to this text. We have pulled it out of context if we only project it into the afterlife. 
I've heard many salvation altar calls that, 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 that um, talk about this as the afterlife. And I'm all for that because I believe that this is about the afterlife. So don't worry. But that's not what Jesus was really wanting to communicate because he was wanting to speak of a present tense reality that you and I in this room can experience because home for Jesus was where the heart is. And there was a place in his heart where he experienced the Father's house, the place of ultimate belonging. So everywhere he went, he felt at home, even in front of the scariest, scariest religious leaders, political leaders, no matter who he was in front of, Jesus Christ was at home. And he releases this right at the end of his ministry because he's saying something like this. In fact, the context of John 14, can I ask for the band to come up behind me? The context for the statement where he's talking about the Father's house is John 13, right? The chapter before. And in the chapter before, it's the chapter where he's washing the feet of the disciples. Remember that? He's washing their feet. Well, at the start of John 13, twice, it's very clear in saying that Jesus, knowing that he was leaving, Jesus, knowing that he was departing to go back to the Father, Twice it says that. It's setting the context. It's very clear that Jesus Christ was knowing that he was going to be leaving his disciples. And then he begins to wash their feet. Now follow this. Washing their feet is a love act of service, right? It's like, oh my goodness, I love you like crazy. I love you so much. I'll lower myself to you and I'll wash your feet. And I'll show you that in the kingdom too, I wanna give a lesson that the greatest of all is the servant of all, right? Following me still? And he's showing them how much he loves them. And he's showing them a lesson on how to be great in the kingdom is to wash feet, to get lower, to serve. But remember what it meant in the ancient world when foot washing took place. Come on. Welcome home. So how's this? Twice in John 13, Jesus is saying, I'm departing. I'm going away. I'm leaving. And yet he holds a welcome home ceremony. I don't know, it was weird. Like when I was when I was like in my in my like early early twenties, late teens, and if anyone was going on an OE or going over to live in Australia or up into London, we would have a going away party when they were leaving. <laughs> Hello. Anyone else relate to that? When someone is leaving, we have a farewell party. But when Jesus is leaving, He doesn't do a farewell party. 
He does a welcome home party. What's going on? Because he's been walking with these young men for three and a half years. And he's been bringing them to a point where he can take them to a place. And these young men were coming alive. They became the movement that changed the world as we know it today that you and I are still a part of. These young men that is spanning the planet. Two billion people confess Christ on the planet today because some young men said yes to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And they were in a welcome home ceremony, but for three and a half years, they were being groomed and trained and brought to a place where He could finally release this revelation bombshell to them. But every time they saw Jesus and they saw the way He looked at them, an explosion of acceptance exploded in their hearts. And every time He spoke, They felt significance. They felt belonging, calling, destiny, world changing. We can change the world. We've come alive by Jesus. But here's the problem. He was temporally bound in a body. He was not omnipresent. So they could only come alive and feel a belonging and acceptance when He would look at them and then see in His eyes the way He saw them. And they could light up in those moments, but it was only when He was with them. I'm very excited about this. Sorry, I'm yelling. Not really. They were lit up around Him and they came alive. But He was giving out of a place of 24-7 significance, 24-7 belonging, 24-7 home, 24-7 acceptance because He was living in the Father's house as a way of life in a place of His heart. And right at the end, right at the end, and I'm I'm preaching with great passion here because I don't believe many Christians get this. Right at the end, He is showing them that what you received is a time to time taste from Me. You can actually live there. I'm living there. It's like the bakery. Oh, you like pies from the bakery of Jesus? You have a pie. Oh my goodness, that tastes so good. And then Jesus is now taking them and say, oh, by the way, your dad owns the whole bakery. Have pies whenever you want. Have access whenever you want. Don't just come alive when you're around me. Now I'm showing you my Father. I'm showing you by the Spirit that you can live here 24-7. You don't just need it around me. And so now you and I in this room can live in that place that Christ lived in. And no matter where we go, a war zone, your boss's office, a 
house of religion. You have a heart reality where you can lean back and know that you're just a beloved son of your father. And no matter what the world is trying to speak to you and make you to perform and fit into, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong. Because you belong in the Father's house, which is a reality for your heart. It's a spiritual reality that you can have. Jesus lived in it 24-7 and He gave us access to it. And now you and I in this room, we have a choice to make. Will we access what Christ has opened up a door for? What Christ has opened up a welcoming ceremony for. That we can live this way if we hold true too. And then as we hold true, our internal reality breaks through and our external reality comes and every house of religion will crumble and we'll see revival in this nation and you'll be a part of it if you could understand that you can live in this place because you've got what it takes and the Father loves you and the Father embraces you and He welcomes you home. Welcome to the Father's house. The reality of your heart, I'm going to invite you to stand up right now. Jesus prepared this place for you with His carpentry, with His workmanship, with His skill. He was looking at you, dreaming of who you are and preparing a place just for you. There is room for you, a space in the Father's house where you belong where you belong you belong in the Father's house and so there are people here who've been out in the orphan world alone working so hard just to fit in and then I want to tell you something even if you did fit in fitting in is nothing compared to I already belong I already belong. I'm already at home. I'm living like I'm carrying home with me everywhere I go. And there's some of you that haven't been out in the orphan world of alone. But there's some of you that have been in the house of religion like Simon the Pharisee's house. And there's been that pressure. Work to fit in. Perform religiously to fit in. I know all about it. I've been there. I've lived in that house. That house is tiring. And it's so hard to get love because you've got to work so dang hard to get accepted in that house of religion. You fast three days. You didn't fast long enough. You better fast seven. You fast seven. It's still not long enough. You haven't got love. But all the time, you already belonged. You didn't need to do that. You already had a place in the Father's house. already had a place. So you've been out there in the orphan world or you've been in the house of religion where you've been performing to earn the Father's love or to earn the approval of religious leaders. Welcome home is what I want to say to you. Welcome home. The Father accepts you. The Father embraces you. There's room for you. You don't have to compete with your brother or your sister because there are many rooms, not a scarcity of room that's been specifically prepared for you. Your room is safe and taken care of. And there's no competition, only completing one another. We don't compete, we complete one another. 
So Father God, thank You that Jesus Christ walked this planet 2,000 years ago with a living reality, Lord, that no one else had yet lived in. But Lord, He spent over three and a half years taking a company of young men into this reality. Father, He paid such a high price. He paid such a high price to bring them into this reality, Lord. He went to the cross. He poured out the spirit of belonging. I'm going to be praying, Father, for a baptism of divine belonging in the Father's house. A baptism of belonging. A baptism of you belong in the Father's house. So we want to sing. I want to call people to the front who would like to have a baptism in belonging. A baptism into the reality that you have a room in the Father's house that is not just the afterlife only, but a present tense reality that you can experience. And so if the Spirit is calling your heart to come and experience home, real home, ultimate home, the Father's house, I want to invite you to come to the front and sing this song. Let's sing this together. Let's sing this together.